Well, welcome. This is Dan Palmer at Making Permaculture Stronger. And in today's podcast, I have a new friend, Alex, who's visiting me from a place called Ballarat, which is about an hour away from where we're sitting here in, in Castlemaine, Victoria, Australia. And Alex, great to have you here. Great being here. Thank you for inviting me. My absolute pleasure. And Alex popped up on my radar um, when you started commenting on, on some of the recent posts in, in the current Making Permaculture Stronger Inquiry, which is looking at the relationship between designing and implementing in, in, inside permaculture design. And um, Alex comes from my, uh, other things, that a software development background. And so to start off, Alex, it would be great to hear a little bit about your history in software development, and then maybe we'll move into your, your history and your relationship with permaculture sure. and start focusing in on some of the, um, the topics and discussions that we've been exploring together in the last few months. No worries. So it's funny because I actually discovered permaculture through software, uh, which I think is a pretty unusual route towards permaculture. So the background to this was that I was doing an IT degree in Melbourne in the early 1990s and learning object-oriented programming, as everyone did back then. And somewhere along the line, one of the lecturers mentioned design patterns. And he said that this idea that design patterns are used in software engineering um, was based on an earlier idea from an architect called Christopher Alexander. And because I was quite interested in architecture and I thought for a little while I might like to become an architect, and becoming a software architect, but anyway, the uni I was at had a very good architecture program. So I went off to the library and found Christopher Alexander and started reading the Tamil's way of building and pattern language. And so that was sort of in the mid-90s and I thought this was great. And then somewhere along the line, I also heard about permaculture and that that was somehow related to Christopher Alexander. So that uh, concept was in my brain. And then I moved into a flat in East Brunswick, just near Ceres, <laughs> and went and visited Ceres, which is a, an environment park, you know, people doing permaculture there. And I found out a bit more about it, started buying some books and so on. But um, in software engineering, what happened there was, I, I did these software engineering, classes at uni and they taught us about the process of developing complex software systems, usually in a corporate sort of environment. So you're working for a bank and they need a new um, system to manage everyone's bank accounts or you're working for a big corporation that has factories full of stuff and they want to manage their inventory or you're building a new system for borrowing library books or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and they would talk to us about these complex software projects and how do you develop a software project? So the classic way to develop software projects, I think was developed in the 60s and 70s. Uh, and that was initially what we were taught. And they sort of taught us what was wrong with that and what was sort of the hip way of doing it in the 90s, which was different. But, but the original way was what they called the waterfall model. Mm -hmm. And it had a series of steps, each of which flowed into each other. And it was called the waterfall because the results of one would flow into the next, would flow into the next, and you never went back a step. You just kept going down the waterfall and you couldn't sort of swim back up. And so the steps were um, you would go out and do what was called a requirements analysis, and typically someone called a business analyst would go out and interview the stakeholders in the company that was having software developed and ask them what they needed and write up all the results from this in a... In a functional requirements specification, which would um, usually print it out in a ring binder and distribute it to people to read and review and whatever, and then that would get signed off on. And you would, let's say you're a contracting firm who was writing the software, 
um, your contract would be based on that functional requirements spec. You had to deliver what those requirements were that were written in that ring binder. And if you didn't deliver them, then you hadn't completed the software project. Mm -hmm. So the next step would be you would take this functional requirements spec and hand it to a software architect and say, this is what we need to build. And the software architect would look at it and go, hmm, well, at a high level, what we need here is a client-server architecture with, you know, the clients are the point-of-sale terminals in the shops and the mm -hmm. server is sitting in a back room somewhere that keeps track of all the inventory and, and, and sort of step through all the ramifications of that in a technical design sense so that whenever you, you know, check out a book at the counter, it reduces the inventory in the back-end system by one. And they would do this with lots and lots of diagrams mm -hmm. and lots of technical language, and they would come out with a design document in another three-ring binder um, with a lot of little sort of box and arrow diagrams explaining how all the parts intersected. Mm -hmm. And then you would have the software development team or possibly teams, and they would be given this design document, and you would say, okay, Dan, you're going to work on this subsystem, and... Mm -hmm. You know, Alex, you're going to work on that subsystem, and you would go away and you would read the design document. And, you know, this subsystem has these inputs, it does this processing, and has these outputs. And you start programming away on it, and then you'd sort of join them all together, and hopefully they'll talk to each other correctly. And and sort of parallel to this, you would also develop a test plan, um, where you've got these professional software testers who test that what the implementers have actually implemented fulfills the requirements of the design as written. Right. Yes. And once everyone's signed off on this step after step, so functional requirements, design, implementation, testing, mm -hmm. ship it. Right. Right. And back in the day, that was, I mean, do, do you remember, when did you start buying computer software? Probably you were probably about my age, like the 90s on floppy disks in a sort of shrink wrap box? Uh, I think I got involved, they weren't floppy anymore. Oh, they the little hard ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're still called floppy disks. So okay. Right. I don't know why. Okay. Anyway, yeah. it was called shrink-wrapped software because you'd right. walk into a shop and it would come in a shrink-wrapped box and there'd be a stack of disks, mm -hmm. right? So if you were buying Windows or Microsoft Word or, you know, uh, Photoshop or something, this was how you'd buy it. Right. And the release cycle was every couple of years there'd be a new version out. Yeah. They'd all be very excited about it. Yeah, yeah. And they would have sort of point releases in between, but, you know, it was the big new version was the big deal. And also in corporate sort of environments, if you were writing a new inventory system, the lead time on that was a couple of years. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so typically software projects of any seriousness were multi-year okay. situations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you were going to deliver this thing and it was going to be in a shrink wrap box or it was going to be delivered to the customer and installed on their servers and and running, and then it wouldn't get updated for another couple of years. Yeah, yeah. So you could start this waterfall process all over again. Right, right. But what do you want in the next version? Maybe, maybe I'll jump in here because I'm conscious there's a bunch of new terminology and stuff and just, mm -hmm. just um, kind of feedback what I heard in some words that are more familiar to me and presumably yeah, yeah. to, to a mm -hmm. permaculture audience. So you're saying kind of the, 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 the standard operating practice or the way that, that software was developed in terms of the process used Firstly, there was <coughs> it was organised around a linear process, the, what you call the waterfall process. Mm -hmm. So it's a sequence of first you do this, and in some cases you put the results in a ring binder, yes. hand it to the next. And team. it's usually a sign off. Okay, yeah. We're done with that stage. Yes, so tick. Yeah. So a linear sequence of steps. Uh, another thing that came through was that different teams tend to do the different steps. Mm -hmm. So so you, 
well, there's like four or five different kind of groups. They could easily be. <coughs> doing different things. And then at the end of it all, we've got the clients which mm -hmm. receive this thing. And another thing you said is that, um, well, yeah, the steps themselves are around, to use different language, um, uh, getting kind of clarifying the requirements of the design, um, clarifying, analyzing, then, then kind of planning it at a more flow diagram, boxes and arrows kind of high level mm -hmm. stage, and then goes to the programmers who nut out the details. Mm -hmm. um, it's tested and implemented uh, and there's a Well, the nutting out the details and the implementation often happen in, in parallel. Okay, yeah, so they're happening yeah. together. Um, and there's testing in there and feedback goes into the product and then it's good enough and out mm -hmm, it goes mm -hmm. and, and it might be two or three years before the whole process is, is gone through again. Yep. Okay, so that kind of gets us up to uh, up to speed on what, so what would you call it, the kind of the old school way or the status quo way or? Well, what, you know, in the, the software world, we just call it waterfall. Waterfall, which was the dominant yeah. paradigm. Mm -hmm. in the and, and to be fair, it still is. Okay. If you were, um, well, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to say the Mikey ticketing system that they use on public transport uh -huh. in Melbourne yeah. was almost certainly developed that way okay. in yeah. the last few years. Right, you know? right. um, so, so big government projects, you know, if they decide they're going to do a thing where, you know, the Department of Human Resources is going to integrate its system with the Department of something else, yeah. Right, it probably happens using that model. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and there are still business analysts and ring binders and box and arrow diagrams yeah. Yeah. in pretty much exactly that way happening uh -huh. in government departments. Okay, so it's, it's still, it's still and, out and there. And big industry. It's still yeah. out there. But tell us about you know, what I'm really interested to start heading towards, yeah. which is that um, yeah, in, in your career with software development, mm -hmm. you got to a point where you realised there were some issues with Waterfall and, and some exciting yeah. things well, came out of that. I quickly dropped out of university and went and got a job doing internet stuff because it was the 90s and that's what we did, right? Yeah. Um, so I spent a couple of years just you know messing around building websites back in the early days of websites and, and working for an internet service provider and things like that. And then slowly came around to doing more software development a few years on. Mm -hmm. And at the time when that happened... Um, there was a new thing that was sort of the hip new idea in software development and it was called Agile Software Development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the idea of that was when you've got a release time frame from, you know, I've got an idea or a need to releasing software that's two years long, mm -hmm. like the, in internet years, you know, they say internet years are like dog years, there's seven internet years to one normal year. Right. That's as if you were waiting 14 years to your software yeah. and it's just untenable. Because things change fast on the internet. New technologies emerge, new competitors emerge, new ideas emerge, and you need to keep up with that. And you just can't spend two years doing all this stuff in ring binders. Okay, right? so we could say that was that was issue number one with this waterfall approach was that in a fast-changing, kind of unpredictable, complex. I would say it was issue number two. Issue okay. number one with the functional uh, with the waterfall yep, yep. model is that the people who have the software need, like the stakeholders, mm -hmm. seldom know how to express their requirements well. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's issue number one. You'd spend two years developing something and you take it back to them and they go, well, it does what we asked for, but it turns out that's not actually what we needed. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. So, so in a sense, the, the process of tuning into what the clients actually want mm -hmm. um, was kind of superficial or, 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 or not necessarily superficial, but the process itself didn't enable the fact that that... They, that over time, they learned more about what they actually wanted, such that two years later, they got something back that was like suddenly, ah, oh, turns out you know, yeah. we, we want something different now. Or, 
Or, you know, sometimes you don't even know what you want until you've tried the first one and seen what's wrong yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, I know that I've done things like, you know, when I've rented houses, I've gone, oh, this looks great, it's got this and this and this. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that those things were set dressing and, you know, my current house, it has two pantries, which as someone who does a lot of food preserving, you're like, whoa, two pantries. Yeah. Uh, it also has no insulation. Right? And when I thought about what I wanted in the house when I first moved in, I thought two pantries was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I couldn't see the lack of insulation because you can't see that when you inspect a rental property. Yeah. Um, and so in retrospect, three years on, and I look at this house and go, if I was doing this again, what would I look for? I might be looking for something different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, we see examples of this in our life all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, relationships, anything. You know, yeah. What you think you want is not always what you need. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was problem one. And problem two was that the internet was moving too fast yep. for this. Yep. Right? So, so uh, problem three? Oh, <laughs> people. Right. <laughs> that, that might have been problem but you could one. Say, ultimately, yeah. you could say that what was happening was, was soft. Where developers were getting frustrated and finding that cracks were emerging, that this isn't actually... This, this and customers approach, were getting frustrated yeah, okay. as well. So this, there's know? something here that that's systemic about... we. You know, as well as we do this waterfall approach, mm-hmm. this linear sequence approach, it's not delivering the goods we, we need to be delivering. And so yeah, yeah. cracks started appearing and then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. presumably someone opened up one of those cracks and, and, and agile. Yeah, so it was a, it was a group of people at some, I think, object-oriented programming conferences okay. who started talking about this stuff. And, and this was all, you know, some years before my time. Oh. And by the time... I became aware of it. It had been um, formalised to some degree and they'd written books about it. And yep. So I was sort of coming along and going, oh, there's a you know well-thought-out idea that I can latch on to, and yep. this was Agile Software. Yep. Uh, right. So this was in about 2001. Okay. And tell, just tell me how you felt when you... Because yeah, Waterfall sounds a bit, I don't know, procedural, maybe yeah. a bit sort of cold or mechanical, and you found mm-hmm. Agile, and what was your feeling of, of... It was very human, Okay. and it was very... Um, it recognised the importance of the process and mm. of the people mm-hmm. and of a sense of craftsmanship mm-hmm. and of pride in your work. Yeah. And it felt to me like, the term I would use for it now, I wouldn't have said this at the time, I, mm. I didn't really have this in my vocabulary, mm-hmm. but this sense of right livelihood of, as a software developer, to be able to build something that you're proud of that you think does something good in the world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as opposed to being a cog in a machine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even if you are just building a, I'd say just, but, you know, a computer game or a, a social networking website or an inventory system <coughs> for selling books, you know, yeah. um, doing that in a way where you spend your day feeling like you're doing a good job and you go home at the end of the day mm-hmm. feeling like you've achieved something worthwhile yeah. as opposed to being frustrated and beating your head against bureaucracy all the time made a big difference to me uh, as a software developer. So I'm guessing there's not as many ring binders of any involved in Agile. Very few (laughs) ring binders. And so tell us, Agile, like, fill it, you know, someone, someone, um, you meet someone on the street and they say, tell me, what is Agile? What What is Agile? What what makes Agile Agile? What's it based on? how, How does it differ from Waterfall? Agile is a way of developing and delivering software in short time frames Mm -hmm. that adapts to changing circumstances Mm -hmm. and to changing needs or changing understandings of what's needed. Okay. 
um, in a way that produces high quality software and uh, supports everyone involved in the process to feel like they're doing something positive and worthwhile. Okay, all yeah. right. Yeah, I, I, as you're saying, I've got the feeling of waterfall kind of. I don't know. The feeling I got was that, it, that, that that approach kind of reluctantly accepts that, yeah, we do have to actually test and get some feedback, and but it almost feels like a, a chore that well, gets in the way of our perfect... The testing is more like an exam. Okay, right. Right? It's an exam at the end that you have to try and pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whereas in Agile, it sounds like that's the name of the game is actually to, well, to, there's, to there's embrace part, the fact it's going to change. There's a part of Agile which is called test-driven development okay. where you do the tests first, oh, yeah. which is quite weird. Yeah, yeah. So the idea there is that you're, you're doing some little thing. It could be um, the bit where you can log into the website using your Facebook account. Yep, yep. Right? I'm just going to say that as a tiny little component of a bit of software. Mm. And so you write a test saying, if this test passes, I will have completed that chunk of work. Yep. And you write the test, and then you test it and it fails because you haven't done the work yet, ah. right? And you expect the test to fail the first time. Yep, yep. And then you do the work, you mm. implement the little Facebook login thing, yep. then you run the test again and right. it should work. Okay. And then you know you're done, right? right. right? right. Um, and by writing the test first, it helps you clarify what your goal is. Uh -huh. And also you keep the tests around and you create a library of them. Yep. And every time you add a piece of code, you just run all the tests to make sure you haven't broken anything else. Okay, so you're building up, yeah, there's, there's clear criteria about what you want the mm -hmm. thing you're working on to achieve. And it sounds, I'm getting also the feeling that the, any, any rigid um, separation between the process of designing and planning and actually testing or implementing or rolling out, that's mm -hmm. starting to feel like it's sort of dissolving or becoming quite blurry. It is quite a bit. So, so there's, there's different schools of Agile, and the okay. one I was most into is one called Extreme Programming. Okay. And one of the things they do is they have a practice that they call on-site customer. Right. And they say, if you, the client, want, if you want me to build you a website, mm -hmm. I need you to come and sit with my software development team, 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. Mm -hmm. You can have your own laptop and work on your own stuff, but you're going to sit in that same room yep. and listen to what they're saying and they can turn around and go, hey, Dan, I've got a question. Yeah, yeah. Right? So to have those people in the one room and know that you can ask Dan a question any time yeah. means you don't have to have a ring binder of all of Dan's yeah, thoughts up front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what they tend to do is they have very um, short and pithy requirements. Okay. And, and historically, they actually use index cards, right. like a four-by-six-inch index okay. card to write the requirement in like one sentence. Right. Right. I should be able to log in using my Facebook account, oh. right? And they would stick these on the wall, physically on the wall of the shared office, oh. and sort of move them around as to, you know, who's doing what way okay. and things yep. like that. Yep. To so you could visually see what yeah, was going yeah, on yeah, in the yeah. project. Yeah. Um, but what they, they, they called them user stories. So you, oh. Dan, would tell a story about what you want, yep. and we'd write this down on the index card. Oh. And one of the, the mottos or the, the sayings was... Um, a, a story is a promise for a conversation. Okay, yeah. So the idea is that you don't have to write down everything. You just write down enough to start the conversation when you need it, uh -huh. right? And so you save yourself a lot of time up front. And they, they actually use the term big design up front for what you don't want to do. You don't okay. want to spend six months gathering requirements because that by that time, your competitor's yeah, yep. website is launched and you've missed your chance, yep, right? Yep, yep. Um, so you do the minimum amount up front. And uh -huh. what you tend to do is a high-level vision and some stories to get you started. Okay, yep. And then you start working on the software and you try and release something regularly so that you always have something that works, uh -huh. even uh -huh. if it's very simple. Yep. 
Yeah. So you might say, look, we're, and, and I'm, I'm going to invent, Dan, that you're, you're building a um, social networking website. Okay? Am I? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, you know, that might take two years to develop and yep. we can't wait two years. Yeah, yeah. But what we can do is we can put up a page, we can register the domain, put up a web page and say coming soon in week yeah. one. Yeah. And then in week two, we can say, give us your email address and you can get an account, but okay. it doesn't do anything yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in week three... Uh-huh. You can invite your friends. Right, right, I'm with you, yeah. And in week four, you can post an update about yep. what you're doing. And yep. in week five, you can add a photo yep. and just keep adding a feature a week. Yep. Yep. So you've got something from the start. Uh-huh. And as you go, you, Dan, will yep. be looking at it and going, oh, now I see that. It makes me realise that mm-hmm. as well as photos, I want to be able to post videos. Yeah, yeah. And that might not have been on your radar at the yeah, start. Yeah. Maybe you didn't know about videos yet. Oh, that's good. That's good. Now, let me, yeah, to, let, let me test... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe in the sense you were using tests before, my 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 the clarity of my um, understanding of this distinction between waterfall and, and agile. So, in terms of some of the issues and uh, that we talked about before, so one is it sounds like uh, the the approach to clarifying requirements is both uh, it, it's it's both um, kind of deeper in terms of it it gets into the, the crux of things and gets really clear as well as not being a separate stage that takes a whole lot of time up front. Um, that seems like one difference, yeah? I'd say it's an ongoing conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, one, and that relates to the second bit, which is it's all about embracing the fact that things are changing and you want to kind of be hungry for evidence that you're getting right. off track mm-hmm. and be constantly adapting whatever it is you're, you're creating to, to, the, to the reality of the, of the changing context or circumstance. Another one is that, like, the users in the, in the room, so to speak, that... Mm-hmm. That, that rather than the user receiving something at the end, well, getting asked a few questions at the beginning and get, receiving something at the end of two years, they're, they're invited into the process. So mm-hmm. um, there's just a constant conversation happening. Um, and and the, the last one you're touching on is that rather than releasing a usable product um, after two years, that you might, you know, you're aiming to release something that can be used weekly or. Mm-hmm. The Simple and like the, the you know they, they often say the simplest thing that could possibly work. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, that's a cool concept. Maybe I'm conscious. I want to start moving, uh, segueing into per- what all this means for permaculture. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could just run us through the the, the agile manifesto you mentioned yeah, to me, yeah. which I've got, apparently I've got this pulled up on my phone. It's here, like kind of enough. you're saying it's the equivalent to the permaculture principles. Yeah. So back in 2001, these people who met at this conference and were talking about this idea and ended up writing mm-hmm. books and so on. Yeah. Um, they put together this manifesto uh, that I'll, I'll just read it out and, mm. and there's signatories so there are about um, what 20 signatories to start with right. and then a bunch of other people came along and, and you can obviously find this yeah. easily if you google agile manifesto agilemanifesto.org okay. yeah so here is the manifesto and then there's 12 principles to follow but uh-huh. the manifesto says we're uncovering better ways of developing software by doing it and helping others do it through this work we have come to value Individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Working software over comprehensive documentation. Customer collaboration over contract negotiation. And responding to change over following a plan. Mm -hmm. That is, while there is a value in the items on the right, we value the items on the left more. Oh, beautiful. I love that last one. What is it? it was responding change. to change over following a plan. Over following a plan. Yeah. Great. We might come back to that. <laughs> and, and then they had these um, 12 principles yep. that go with it, mm-hmm. um, which I actually, you know, because I'd come to 
permaculture a while before. Yep. And and so I think we talked earlier about how I felt when I discovered Agile. Mm. And I think I felt a lot of the same ways that I felt when I discovered permaculture. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, you know, here are people who think like I do about um, doing something that's quite technical with a lot of moving parts uh-huh. in a way that really honours the human part of it uh-huh. and the idea of building something quality and worthwhile with a process that makes you feel good and know that you're doing the right thing. Uh-huh. Um, I guess that's kind of how I'd put it. But yeah. but there was just this feeling inside me that was like, yes, this is right. And then there's these agile principles, and these actually came out before David Holmgren's book on the permaculture uh-huh. principles. By um, a year or so, right? Yeah, true? although I didn't come across David's book for or okay. his stuff for a bit longer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I came across the permaculture principles website. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a little later on, but I looked at it and went, you know, not only do I have the same feeling inside about yeah. permaculture and yeah. agile, yeah. but the principles are actually really similar. And and so the agile movement that was two thousand and one, is that right? Yes. And and David's book, of course, came out two thousand and two, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So they were thinking but, about it yeah, at the yeah, same they, time, they obviously. Yeah. yeah. Well, why yeah. don't you read read through the the. Um, or at least some of them. Yeah. Well, you said you yeah. like the one about change. So, yeah, yeah. Um, welcome changing requirements, even late in development. Uh-huh. Agile processes harness change for the customer's competitive advantage. Okay, so that, that's okay. one of the. So that's embrace change. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe maybe choose four or five particularly juicy ones that may help us segue into. into working software is the primary measure of progress. Awesome. Yeah, so something that actually works in the world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as opposed to. The prettiness of the plan, or the or the thickness of the yes. binder. Or yes, whatever. because you know sometimes these waterfall projects would get cancelled before you even started implementing. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you'd spend a year. Yeah. And yeah. not have a single line of code. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, to me, I, I also you know, there's twelve of these. There's twelve permaculture principles. Mm. Working software is the primary measure of progress. To me, that's obtaining yield. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> simplicity. The art of maximising the amount of work not done is essential. Mm-hmm. Maybe that there's aspects of um, of no waste or at least minimising waste in terms of wasted time. Mm-hmm. You know, doing more than actually needs to be done to get. I think it's also small and slow solutions. Oh, ah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to do, you know, they often say the simplest thing that could possibly work. Yep, yep. Is usually the smallest thing. And, you know, simplicity is, what is it they say? It's when there's nothing left to take away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. simple as possible. It was as simple as it can be, but no simpler or whatever it is. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then this is the one that I think really makes a difference in my experience of how Agile teams work. Mm-hmm. At regular intervals, the team reflects on how to become more effective, then tunes and adjusts its behaviour accordingly. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that, that carries a flavour of let's not be attached to any particular process you know mm-hmm. let's actually let basically let's be designing our design process as we go mm-hmm. based on what's actually working mm-hmm. not what we think should be work so let's not inadvertently impose a design process on you know what I mean right. which I, th- I think that's starting to get a bit deep and into the territory Christopher it's Alexander a, it's a bit matter, isn't it? yeah, yeah yeah and you know I've done this on teams where you know we've started out doing a release every week uh-huh. 
but we found that there was so much overhead in doing the release that maybe it would be better if we did a release every two weeks. <laughs> but we'd come together as a team to discuss that. You know, hey, how are you feeling about these weekly releases? Yep. You know, oh, well, it's stressing me out a bit. What if we went to every two weeks? Well, let's try that for a while and revisit, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's definitely something that happens in extreme programming. Right. Actually, I did, I did hear a bit of an interview once with the founder of, one of the founders of extreme program, Kent, is it Ken Beck or Kent, Kent, Beck? Kent Beck? Yeah, and he was talking about this idea of um, so, some something that can be part of extreme program is you have two programmers sitting at the same screen. Pair programming. Pair, which is quite yeah. interesting because with the idea being that every single line of code that's being written, as it's being written by person A, person B is actually watching it being written and giving mm -hmm. like super real time, you know, second by second. Uh, feedback and it has a lot of interesting benefits so one of them is that it's mentoring it's yep. often a good way oh, okay. to bring new people into the team and bring yep. them up to speed yeah yeah but the other thing is that when you're deep in code uh -huh. and you're looking at it like you know very blinkered and yep. I'm staring into this screen with mm. you know on television you know all the green text just sort of flowing in front of you like on the matrix or something yeah, yeah. right and you get very into that you know letters and numbers and mm. what I'm typing mm -hmm. And the other person, sometimes you call them the co-pilot, you yeah. know, they're sort of sitting back and they're able to take a slightly more distant view and go, wait a second, uh -huh. isn't this very similar to that thing you did this morning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't we combine those two and make it more efficient, uh -huh. you know? And that's the sort of slightly more high-level thinking that someone can do who's just sitting a little bit behind but yeah, who doesn't have yeah. their fingers on the keyboard. Yeah, yeah. So that can be really good for code quality as well as for... Um, learning and mentoring and passing skills around and, yep, yep, yep. and setting standards in the team. Okay, this is, this is good. Now, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like we want to start bringing this, because I was just picturing someone, um, you know, like, there's no such thing as an average permaculturist, but, you know, someone who's <laughs> yeah. into permaculture, which means they're into soil and plants and um, uh, water and, you know, I don't mm -hmm. know ecological systems and harmonising with ecological systems toward, toward regeneration and abundance, blah, blah, blah. Wonderful stuff. Um, and we're, here we're talking about people sitting in front of screens, generating mm, code and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so on. But, yeah, so I'd love to start exploring, okay, so what, you know, why are we talking about this and, and how do some of these design process innovations um, that we've sort of summarised as moving from waterfall to agile in software development land, how might that have relevance to working with soil and plants, et cetera, right. um, how might it apply to permaculture? Because as we both know, mm. there are some um, some definite parallels and, 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 and perhaps some opportunities for permaculture to learn from this, um, yeah. this transition. So I'd love to hear from you, you know, you, coming from this background and, and, and being familiar well, with, with this, the Alexander thread, Christopher Alexander thread, um, which, which you tuned into early on, but then there's the software development and the permaculture. As you start to learn more about permaculture, and I know you're just you're just finishing a PD, your first PDC at this stage, permaculture mm -hmm. design course. Um, yeah, what what you know what what did you notice or see coming from a, a, a background of, of yeah. kind of rigorous design process self awareness? What did you find in permaculture? And well, I guess my um, history with permaculture is a bit different from a lot of people, uh -huh. in that I became aware of it twenty years ago. Yep. And did quite a bit of reading and, mm -hmm. you know, found out that the Permaculture Designer's Manual, the big, thick phone book of a book, was like the book to have. So I went out and got it. I read it to cover to cover and I went, okay. That makes you unusual, I would there. say. I don't know how many people read the cover to cover. Yeah, no, I read it to cover to cover and then made my housemates who were also software engineers read it. Okay, yep. And then we, you know, rapidly went and, you know, tried to plant a veggie garden. It didn't work very well. But, yeah. um, 
so so we sort of saw that resonance and and then I was you know we were doing lots of stuff we were doing food preservation and urban foraging and this and that and all kinds of things yep. permaculture things but I didn't really feel fully connected with permaculture for a couple of reasons okay and you know one which we've talked about in other conversations is that I was renting and didn't have you know my 10 acres yep. in, the, yep. in the country yep. um, but the other one was that as someone who worked every day with complex systems and designed complex systems, mm-hmm. when I saw permaculture conversations happening, I didn't see those conversations happening. Uh-huh. Um, and I was from a, a technical design systems background. Yeah. And what I saw were, I'm going to just say a lot of hippies. Okay. Um, I am myself a hippie. Uh-huh. I identify as a hippie. Yeah, yeah. But I guess... A hippie from a technical background is different to, to a non-technical one. I remember on my permaculture design course, yeah. um, Phil Mollison saying that technically to be a hippie, you need, a, you need at least one degree. <laughs> at least one degree? I yeah. dropped out. I'm not technically a hippie. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So you're out. Oh, no. no but yeah, no. so yeah, but you're saying, yeah, you, you bought, you bought this, this kind of rigor of design process thinking yeah. to permaculture. Yeah. yeah. And so I sort of wondered where that conversation was happening. Okay. And I couldn't really find it. All right, so you, at first you suspected it was happening, but so you looked yeah. for it and you were yeah. surprised. Uh, well, you know, I can't say I looked very hard. Okay. I hung around some internet forums and, yep. Yep. you know, looked at some books. And yep. Yep. It just, I didn't really find that going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And then when I learned about Agile, I thought, oh, I bet the permaculture people would love this stuff. Yep. And I sort of occasionally, if I found someone who was into both you know, computers and permaculture, I'd say, oh, do you know about software, agile software development? You know, what do you think? Is it the same as permaculture? You know, can we get these two things together? And people kind of looked at me a little bit blankly. Okay. And I kept having these conversations on and off. And for a while, about five years ago, I was working on uh, a project that was developing software for veggie gardeners to track what they were growing and harvesting with the goal of um, putting together a, a database of all the different crops that people grow and where they grow them and where okay. they plant them and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were doing it using Agile, extreme programming methods. Yep. And so I was very deep in this project that was about both growing food and Agile software. And okay. so these conversations started up again. Yeah. And I asked around, people go, oh, you know, it's a good idea, but no, I haven't really thought about it or I don't know who's yep. talking about that. And I thought, oh, permaculture, come on, get it together, uh-huh. you know. Then I moved to Ballarat, and the Ballarat Permaculture Guild run an annual PDC. And I had not done a PDC at this point because I thought, you know, although I was very interested in permaculture, I could learn what I wanted to by reading books. And also I thought that the PDC would be a good thing to do if and when I ever bought my 10 acres in the country, but not so useful as a renter. And also I thought, you know, look, I know how to do complex systems design. Uh I don't really know how much I'm going to get out of this. Yes. Yep. Uh, so it was a lot of money for me to spend. Mm-hmm. But then talking to people around Ballarat who run the PDC there, yeah. Steve Burns is the lead instructor. Uh-huh. And we were having a conversation. He said, the way we teach the PDC has really changed in the last few years as we've started teaching Dave Jackie's design process. Uh-huh. And I said, whose design process? Tell me more. <laughs> right? Dave who? <laughs> Dave who? Oh, I'd heard Steve talking about Dave Jackie a lot. So okay. by this stage, I knew all about forest gardens. But what I didn't know was that there was a design process. And okay. I'm like, 
Now we're talking. Yeah. All right. So so I got on this PVC and, and off I went. And, yeah. and, you know, at some point we had the day where they told us, here is Dave Jackie's design process okay. and the steps in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I went, huh, that's funny. That's the waterfall model. Right. That's the model that I was taught in first year uni mm-hmm. as being kind of outdated and we don't do it anymore mm-hmm. in software. And I thought, I wonder, again, you know, if this is where permaculture's at, is anyone having this conversation about agile software development and permaculture? And I went home that night and I typed into my browser, Agile Permaculture, and your website came up and I went, what? This is that guy who talks about Christopher Alexander all the time. <laughs> uh, oh, so you were, you're already aware of... Yeah, yeah. So you're talking about making permaculture stronger at the yeah. blog and you'd, you'd been following some of the early conversations mm. about element assembly and yes. differentiation of a whole... Okay, mm-hmm. and, then, and then you... And it turned out that that same morning you posted your uh, the post that started talking about Agile. Okay, yep, yep. So it was a few into your sort of second investigation. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, but the timing was just spot on. It was the same day we covered the Dave Jackie process. Oh, wow. In our PDC. Oh, that's interesting. And yeah, well... And it came home that night. Yeah. And, it, and it was showing me the homepage of your site. Okay. And I'm like, why is it showing me the homepage? He, he doesn't talk about Agile. I'd read all the previous yeah. blog posts. Yeah. Then I realised it was a new blog post and it was there and I went, oh my God, someone's finally having this conversation. I was very, very excited. Oh, cool. Yeah, well, on, the, on that front and on the date, because making permaculture stronger is coming to the tail end of its second inquiry, mm-hmm. calling it inquiry circuits. But the first one was looking at this idea of um, uh, permaculture, well, from my, in my opinion, permaculture mm-hmm. um, having unwittingly been influenced by this mechanistic idea that's quite deep in our culture that design is about choosing some elements and then clicking them together or assembling them um, and just kind of inviting permaculture to, into a conversation around self-awareness around that mm-hmm. and ultimately looking at the idea um, of Alexander's con- contrasting idea that you, rather than starting with separate parts and joining them into a whole that you can construe design as starting with a pre-existing whole that already has parts but then um, in, in some kind of sensible sequence transforming or, mo- or modifying it where new parts come into being along the way um, as opposed to being the, the, the what you start with. So discussions around that, and, and Dave Jackie um, featured in that inquiry because uh, he'd not only been influenced by Alexander, even though he hadn't read a lot of Alexander's later stuff that I was drawing on, um, he'd described in personal conversations Christopher Alexander's work having sparking some you know pretty serious epiphanies in his, in his, in his life, and he, in particular in his... Um, understanding the goals articulation phase of the process. But the upshot was that um, I, I realised that Dave um, had articulated an approach to design process that was very much about starting with kind of the whole and, and, and at the higher pattern level and then, and then moving toward um, parts and, and have been in conversation with Jack, Dave since then. He's had quite a big influence on my thinking. Um, and in recent times, even though, as you say, um, the, the presentation in Edible Forest Gardens Volume 2 um, falls into kind of a waterfall patterning. He, he, Dave is, is, is always on the move and always he's very you know, self-critical and, and adapting and adjusting himself and talking a lot more about emergence these days. And, and so it's funny because on the one hand, yeah, even though it can't, you know, he, he, he puts it into the waterfall kind of linear sequence heuristic, having watched him design, that's... You know, that's not 
the, the agile is in him, his, in him as well. So it's yes. quite, a, you know, as, as, as always, it's well, quite Well, I kind of think that agile's in everyone. To me, it feels quite natural. Uh-huh. And I wonder whether it is a natural way and that this more mechanistic approach has been imposed on us yeah. by, I'm going to say, industrialization uh-huh. and capitalism. Yeah. Um, to make us all good little cogs in the machine, uh-huh. right? Um, and, you know, when you look at Alexander's stuff around the timeless way of building, mm-hmm. he's looking at pre-industrial and vernacular architecture and things like that. Yeah. So he's drawing on stuff that's outside of that, you know, efficiency-oriented worldview. Yeah, that paradigm. Yeah. Story, meta story of the world, or whatever it is. But I, you know, the other thing to me is what's in editable forest gardens yep. is one thing, uh-huh. and then as that passes through the layers down to, you know, who's teaching yep. the PDC yes, yes. and who's on the PDC, yeah, yeah, and what right. are those students able to take in in that you know very intense yes. learning experience? Yep, yep. You know, giving them a set of steps and expecting them to remember them in order uh-huh. is you know, what is usually taught in the PDC. And it's a lot deeper and more philosophical to start going into the generative and agile stuff. Probably not appropriate to a PDC. And I think think it would be widely accepted in the permaculture world that, um, you know, Dave Jackie has just... He's been of service in the sense of just really cracking open the conversation because he very Mm. much had the same feeling of where's the design process at? No, I'm just. I'm not finding it. I'm trying to design professionally here, and there just doesn't seem to be anything within permaculture that that is any kind of comprehensive um, right. approach. So he went outside of permaculture, and 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 at least, you know, offered up something that was coherent and clear that got the conversation started. One one concern I would have, um, and sometimes I, I see indications of this, is that people can be like, oh well. You know, it's okay because Dave Jackie sorted it out. So you know, <laughs> basically, we just need to you know just just do what he said. When if you speak to him, that's the last. I know for a fact it's the last. That, that would that would freak him out as well. Yeah. Um, he would want nothing more than people to be critical about that as he is himself, mm-hmm. and for it to keep developing. Where he's, you know, he's kind of opened the door, but it's not like as, as I, I heard him say on a podcast once. You know, we're taking baby steps here. Permaculture is young. You know, there's we've got so well, far to go. One of the things I like about making permaculture stronger is that it has that sort of feeling to me that I used to get at software conferences uh-huh. where everyone would sort of go to the bar after the official conference proceedings were yeah, over yeah. And, and talk about, you know, what had happened during the day. And it would always end up in a, you know, let's completely redesign our processes and I reckon I've got a better way to do things. Uh-huh. And, you know, 90% of them were probably rubbish. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, there was this sense of it's okay to tear down everything we've done mm-hmm. and try again and try and make it better and yeah, to yeah. continuously improve on what we've been doing, build better tools, build better processes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that's part of what we do as software engineers. We don't just apply the same process over yeah, and over, yeah. or at least not among, among the ones I hung around with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're always trying to come up with the better way to do it. Uh-huh. And uh, I think I've sent you some stuff about the tools that we use to build software uh-huh. have been through several generations since I started, yeah, yeah. you know, 20 years ago, um, and that the tools we use enable us to level up in ways that we couldn't even have imagined in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm wondering, you know, is permaculture about to start doing that? Yeah, yeah. Which would be fantastic. W- yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, um, so coming coming back to 
you, you googled agile permaculture and this this mm-hmm. this post and this inquiry came up and, and I wanted to share that that was a, it was an ex- I had a really exciting day when I because mm-hmm. people had mentioned agile to me and I had an idea that might be something of relevance and then yeah opening it up after having kind of explored and shared in some earlier posts how Christopher Alexander is critical of what he calls a fabricating approach, which is, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned earlier, the waterfall idea of big design up front or BDUF. Uh, waterfall doesn't call it that. That's okay, Agile's yeah. sort of yeah, snarky name yeah, about yeah, what they don't like. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. All right. yeah. But, but either way, the, this idea that's, that Alexander was criti- crit- criticising in an architectural context of do your mm-hmm. master plan mm-hmm. um, up front and, and then implement it and reluctantly accept a little bit of feedback as you go along, um, moving to what he favoured and, and, and actually in, in his career was able to show, was, was able to generate um, mm-hmm. buildings just a, with a whole different quality about them, mm-hmm. which is the, you know, the so-called quality, quality without a name, um, uh, which he called generating, which was all about um, kind of figuring out what the right next step is and, and being super adaptive and, and not, not making decisions prematurely and, and being really kind of self-conscious that when you make decisions prematurely, arbitrariness can, can kind of sneak into your process and part of what that means is you can start imposing things that, that, you, that you bring from the outside as a designer rather than letting the most authentic and adapted solutions or whatever um, layouts arise from, from what's actually going on. So we've been exploring that, and then I cottoned on to Agile, which was pretty much, as, as we've been exploring, saying the same thing, and, you know, a few decades down the, down the track. So it was mm-hmm. great that you got involved in, the, in, the, in several other people from out, around the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was surprised, well, I'm not surprised, but it was interesting to discover that there's a hell of a lot of people that are um, software developers, you know, by day, mm-hmm. and, and permaculture kind of hobbyists or... Well, surprise, surprise, complex systems... Attract the same kind of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's this really interesting interface of of folks working in agile, where I think there's you know so a lot of people really fluent in some of these um, design process innovations, and they're also interested in permaculture. But mm-hmm. yeah, but but as you as you found, not a huge amount of actual conversation, and and not a very small amount of permaculture saying, okay, let's be a bit humble here and say, so what have we missed? You know, what what can we what can we get of value from this? But, you know, the other thing is that it can be quite hard to see how it maps on. Like, philosophically it maps, yep. but in practice, as we've talked about on the blog, mm-hmm. it's one thing being agile with software, yes. which is yep. this product of the mind and exists only in the abstract. And, you know, you can do things with software like revert a whole day's work if it didn't quite work out the way you yeah. think. Whereas yep. if you're, I'm just going to say, digging a swale... You can't press a button to revert that. Yes. Yep, yep. <laughs> so there is a sense there that the physicality of land-based permaculture yep, yep. Um, makes it harder to be completely agile. You can't just yeah, yep. throw stuff out there, see what works, and head down the direction that worked best because yep. the investment you put into the physical um, materials yep, yep. and the physical labour and the difficulty of re- reverting it is very different. Yeah, yeah, which are, which has come up, and I'm really looking forward to going going into that. And my, you know, my, one of my things is let's not that let's not use it as an excuse to not mm. explore how an agile approach might apply. But let's also be conscious that whatever um, process developments happen inside permaculture, they have to work for permaculture. I just wanted to throw in this as a balance to the example you mentioned of a swale. Um, you could also be talking about a, a diversion drone that falls gently to a dam and, and a 
in a form of maybe one in, one in 400. <laughs> yes, okay. Um, I guess I feel like I've been doing agile permaculture in my current property for the last three or four years. Okay, yep. Uh, but I think it's quite different from what you're heading towards as uh -huh. well. Why don't you give us a, qu a quick summary of your place? My um, place, yeah. So uh, I'm renting in central Ballarat. I'm on 500 square metres uh -huh. in a... Um, uninsulated California bungalow, uh -huh. uh, three bedroom. Uh, I'm paying the same in rent as I used to pay for a room in Melbourne in a share house okay, where we had to do container gardening. So I'm very excited to have this huge backyard. Mm -hmm. And it actually had a greenhouse when I moved in mm -hmm. and fruit trees and all kinds of good stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty excited. <clears throat> so I guess um, in terms of agile process, yep. What I did was I moved in with a high-level, I'm going to say goal articulation to, yeah. to go all Dave Jackie there, although I didn't mm -hmm. call it that at the time. Yeah. I would have said a vision for what I wanted. Yeah. And I uh, perceived that as being I want to be having a, a lifestyle where I experience doing stuff for myself, mm -hmm. learning as I go, building skills and feeding myself and my community and bringing people together around all these processes. Yep. That's what I wanted to be happening in my home. Yep, yep. Uh, and I knew I had, you know, this small suburban block to do it on. So I had my, you know, 15-minute walkthrough that was my inspection of the property, uh -huh. as you do as a renter, yep. before you have to decide if you want it. And I went, mm, north aspect, yep, fairly flat, okay. Uh -huh. uh, had a bit of a look at the weeds there. Looks like, you know, there's some nice soil there because mm -hmm. I've got some you know, nettles and chickweed and, um, you know, yep, yep. that sort of thing. There's some fruit trees, don't know what they are because they were all leafless and, you know, the time of year wasn't right. But yeah. something that looks like a fruit tree or two yeah, down yeah. the back there, yeah. cool. Yeah, sign on the dotted line, I'll, I'll sign a lease on that. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I moved in and within two or three weeks, I'd ripped up all my moving boxes, um, laid them down, done a bit of a no-dig garden directly out my front, outside my back door. Mm -hmm. And I said... I'm just going to put some veggies in here because yep, yep. <laughs> it was it was spring. So and, and in Ballarat, you know, it was um, actually it was probably November. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it was planting time in Ballarat, um, and I thought I'm just going to get some veggies in here right by my back door, mm -hmm. and call that zone one. So tell me how 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 would that be an example of agile um, kind of permaculture as opposed to the phrase I've used on the current inquiry culture stronger of just winging it, you know, which is doing mm -hmm. sort of stuff haphazardly or randomly hoping for the best. Yeah, so I think the first thing is to have the goal in mind. Okay, yep. So that makes a big difference. Mm. And then to be iterating towards that goal. Yep. So knowing that each season I make, a, and, and for me the natural iteration length in permaculture is a season, you know, summer or winter usually. Um, so I, I think there's, you know, there's the big iteration, which is a natural iteration of the, the year. Mm. But I really have, I'm going to say in software terms, two releases, yep, yep. Um, summer and winter. And so I do just enough planning for what I'm going to do for that period mm -hmm. that's going to step me towards that goal. The other thing is I don't know how long I'm going to be in this house. And when I moved in, I didn't know how long I would be there. I thought it would be a few years, but I didn't know for sure. So I wasn't going to make a plan that was, you know, the 10-year plan for my property. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, how do I move a step closer towards what I want to do mm -hmm. while getting the outputs that I want, you know, obtaining a yield as I go, mm -hmm. uh, step by step with each iteration. Mm -hmm. So with each iteration, I do just enough planning for that iteration, making sure that it's on track towards the big goal, mm -hmm. 
and then implement it uh-huh. and then review it mm-hmm. and reflect on that and you know observe what happened and, and figure out what I can learn for next time yep, yep. and repeat that over and over again. So how, how um, let me give you a devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. What, one thing that sounds like to me is that you're just doing faster cycle waterfall, you know, because you're still planning, implementing, reviewing. It's just that you're doing it for bits, smaller bits of the project. How would you differentiate that though from? So one of the myths of Agile is that there's no planning. Right. right? Uh Uh, There is planning, but it's only just as much as you need, not more than you need at any given time. And and the same for design. You know, people say there's no design, it's just, you know, slapped together. You do just what you need at that time. So I didn't design anything beyond that little, it was probably about 10 square metres outside my back door the first year. And the second year I did, second year, second season, I did 10 square metres on the other side of the path. Mm -hmm. And then I started moving back down towards the back of the yard step by step. But I didn't, you know, I'm I'm now down towards the back and I've built the fence and there's the chook fence about to go in and there's stuff happening down the back. But I didn't touch it for the first couple of years. Uh, So although I had the big picture look, I think that might happen later. Mm -hmm. I'm going to postpone the detailed design for that until I get to it. Uh, So, yeah, so there is a small amount of design, but only as much as you need. The simplest thing that can possibly work. Yeah, and it also sounds like once you start to implement um, and manage and maintain and obtain a yield, that from then on, you know, the next time you're doing a bit of de- a little bit of design for the next step, you're also maintaining, you know, that suddenly mm-hmm. the linearity dissolved into these things are all contemporary now because mm-hmm. I'm actually... I'm well, you do you have know, to ma- maintain what's happening. Yeah, and I'm out there putting, installing this bit of the next bit of the garden. As I'm out there, I'm actually starting to, you know, do some of the thinking and design around and so on. So mm-hmm. it's, they're actually not separate in time that, Anymore, they're happening together and um, layered on top of each other. Yeah, yeah. And so for any, you know, section, any, I'm going to say subsystem, yeah. uh, you've got the planning, which, you know, happens in the evening with a pencil and paper and a seed catalogue, right? Yeah. Um, the implementation, the, you know, the the yield, uh-huh. I'm going to say, yeah. and then the, the maintenance and the ongoing you know, what do I have to do in the coming years to yes. maintain this? Yeah. And that happens with software as well. That happens with agile software as well. Uh-huh. So we talked about the test-driven design where you write the tests up front yeah. uh, so that you can see that as you do the later parts of the software, the first ones haven't broken. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have that tool chain to build automated tests for my garden. Uh-huh. But I know that at times, you know, I've been so focused on this area over here that the the first bit, you know, I haven't been paying as much attention to it and now it's full of weeds or it's, you know, something's going wrong with it. So, yeah, you do have to sort of keep connected to all the different parts and and keep maintaining them. But I was going to say the other thing that I think is agile in what I'm doing Uh as a renter and as someone with not a lot of money Mm -hmm. and I don't know how long I'm going to be there Mm -hmm. is... I use a lot of um, techniques that are very reversible. Mm, So, you know, I have bought very little in the way of uh, materials and hardware. I haven't laid down um, paving or done any earthworks or anything like that. It's all recycled bricks and the odd pallet and bales of straw, which if I get it wrong... I'm not too committed to it and feel like I've, you know, um, invested in it and can't pull it out again. So I'm now thinking that that first veggie bed from three years ago, Mm -hmm. I'm actually thinking I want to change that completely. (laughs) And 
it doesn't mean I got it wrong. It just means that my understanding has developed and I've learned a bit more about um, the sun in that area and that my back porch gets too hot in the summer. And that's something that I've sort of learned over time as we've had hotter summers and cooler summers. Uh, I couldn't have known that up front. And, you know, they sometimes say spend a year on a property Mm -hmm. observing before you do your design. It's just not viable for a rental. It's often not viable for the place you own either. You know, I don't don't know how many people really do that. Um, But, you know, in Ballarat we have hot summers, we have cool summers. So... It might take five years until, you know, you go through a drought or a decade until you go through a flood uh-huh. to know how the property is going to Do you, do you say you have cool summers or do you mean cool winters? Well, we have had some cool summers. Okay, we yeah. just had a very cool summer. Okay, yeah. But summer before was very hot and yeah, very long. Yeah, yeah. And seeing how my garden and my property responded in both of those environments uh, has made me realise I need to revisit some things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic to hear um, a bit of noise in the background, but it's not too bad. Um, that that's that's great. One one point I wanted to make there was you know, I could see how someone who wasn't a renter um, would say, "Well, that, but how does that apply to me?" And yet I think it does. One one example that came up in my mind was in, in my time working with Darren Doherty in a farm planning context. He'd talk about things like lay down a water pipe on top of the ground, and if you don't move it mm-hmm. for a couple of years, then bury it. Mm-hmm. So do things in a way that are reversible until you're highly confident they won't need to be reversed, if you know right. what I mean. Well, Alex, we should uh, wrap this up, but it's been so great to... Thanks for coming in to have this conversation. And I, lo- I kind of loved how uh, it certainly wasn't a master-planned podcast. You know, we didn't <laughs> have a design <laughs> sketched out. But it felt like at least at least three chunks, the first one being um, your history with and an introduction to Agile and software development. Contrasting that with the waterfall approach, and then moving into permaculture and looking at the how what one applies to the other, how they can speak to each other, and um, resonance there, and then of course how you've been living this in your own property, which was really mm-hmm. useful, I think, in terms of how how does this actually apply on the ground, as well as getting a flavour of um, making permaculture stronger from your from your end, and as a as a kind of a member of this young kind of community and discussion inside of the global. No, I'm very excited about it and excited that I can be having these conversations Mm -hmm. now because I really felt that I was yearning to to nerd out about this stuff with some people. So I think I've found some of those people now and you're obviously one of them and it's been fantastic to meet you and get to know some of your ideas a bit better. Oh, it's a a pleasure to be one of those people. (laughs) And likewise, thanks for being one of those people for me. So thanks, Alex, and we'll have to stay in touch and maybe maybe record another chat. In um, you know, in six months Maybe or a year, patterns. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it'd be so fun to explore concept mm-hmm. of patterns together. But yeah, um, easily another a podcast in its its own right. Probably, yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, Alex. All right, thank you.